Welcome back to Startup. I'm your host, Alex Bloomberg, sitting in as I do from time to time for regular host Lisa Chow. And for the next several episodes, I'm telling the story of how our first fiction podcast became a big budget TV show on Amazon. And I'm following the two writers of that podcast, Eli and Micah, who became head writers and showrunners on the TV show. In the months after the deal was signed with UCP, from August to December of 2017, Micah and Eli and a couple other writers they'd hired got to work writing the scripts for the television version of Homecoming. And they discovered that the process of taking a script that had been written for the ear and turning it into something for the eye was deceptively challenging. That challenge became apparent in one of the very first scenes. Here's Micah. So um, to set this scene, there in episode one of the podcast, as you remember, Colin calls Heidi from an, a busy airport. Hi, Colin. Hello, Heidi? Yeah, hi. Hi, your, uh, your connection's really shoddy. Are you there? I'm here. Can you, can you hear me? Okay. Yeah, just barely. I barely got you. Go ahead. Uh, go ahead? Yeah, go ahead with the update. Oh, uh, you, sorry. Uh, yes. We're all set with intake. We've got everyone in their rooms. Everyone documented. Okay. Great. Where the hell is... Wait a minute. Colin? I'm in transit here. I'm switching at the airport in Detroit. They, uh, He's rushing between they gates. Job, he trips over a kid's bag. So I just stepped on a little girl's backpack. It was in the middle of the walkway. And this is a walkway. Anyway, I told him we need to move on this, you know, fast. fast so fast, when fast. Eli and I wrote the script, we just transposed it. And we had him at, an, at a busy airport. Mm-hmm. Um, she's at the facility. And um, we wrote his side where you cut to him. And we did her side at the facility. So we had imagined our heads in LAX or like a... Um, you know, like a big international airport. So they wrote the script that way, sent it off to Sam Esmail, the director, who ran it by his producer for any red flags. And word came back to Micah and Eli, a big long scene in LAX, huge red flag. It's tough to shoot in an airport. It's expensive. There's a lot of security. It's really hard to get in there. And no one was saying we can't do it. But the airports that were available to us were like John Wayne Airport and... These kind of smaller airports. We're like, it's a local airport. And it's beautiful. It's a great place. But like, you know, it's not the airport that we had in our minds for the story. So we were like, okay, it's no problem. It's no problem. He's going to be in a smaller airport. That can be part of the story. But we're still cutting to Colin. He's still tripping over people. And we're still seeing Heidi. So red flags taken care of. They replaced LAX with a smaller airport. But there was this other issue that was starting to come up. An issue that also had to do with the transition from podcast to TV. See, in TV, there's just a lot more people involved. And a lot of those people have their own areas of expertise, their own creative visions, like Sam Esmail, the director. He and his director of photography, Todd Campbell, had come up with an idea of how they wanted to treat the scene. And they presented this idea to Micah and Eli. Sam and Todd had this vision for what's called a oneer, And a oneer is a really long shot with no cuts in it. Um, and you take a character through multiple places and the camera never cuts. And Sam and Todd wanted to reveal the whole facility in one grand sweeping shot and just be with Heidi. And we were always talking like, oh, but we'll be cutting to Colin, we'll be cutting to Colin, and everyone knew that. But then eventually it was like, do we need to be cutting to Colin? Can we just stay with Heidi with the wonder? And then we reveal Colin at the airport at the end of the call. 
partly because the airport wasn't going to be as visually interesting as we thought. Like, we couldn't get this long shot of him doing all this stuff in a giant atrium because we just have one gate of this kind of rinky-dink regional airport. So Micah and Eli decided, okay, fine, we'll make the scene just the winner, just Heidi on the phone. You'll hear Colin, but you won't see him. And you'll just be watching Heidi as she walks through this big, mysterious facility. And then we'll only cut to Colin at the very end, at the airport. And for a while, that seemed like a solution. Sam was happy because they're going to do the one-er. Locations people are happy because we only need to do one gate. Um, And I was happy because people are happy. You see where this is going, right? Then Eli wasn't happy. Yeah, well, Eli wasn't happy because he made a very good point that this scene was not written to be a one-side scene. We had conceived of the scene as a two-sided conversation. So the question was, if we just cut to this guy and reveal him at an airport, is that interesting enough? Is that going to be something to see? Because he built to this whole climactic moment, and then it's just going to be some guy at an airport, and like, right? Exactly. I feel like then this sort of scene would be fundamentally a reveal scene. We'd be structuring it all based around what are we not seeing, and now we see it. But there was kind of no there there. So the airport was a little bit of like a remnant. But if the airport wasn't going to work, they were now very far away from what they'd originally imagined as a simple cut and paste. They were essentially sort of back at square one, reimagining the whole thing. If Colin wasn't in an airport, where was he? And if there was going to be a big reveal at the end of the scene, cut to Colin standing somewhere mysterious and evocative and meaningful, what was that mysterious, evocative, meaningful location? They had to invent it. So then what we have now is we cut to Colin. Show me what you have now. Yeah, sure. Micah pulls up the script on his computer. Episode one, scene six. So, so we'll, yeah, let's look at this. So this is your final, and when did you guys come up with this? You were working on this, this like, like last week, man. <laughs> so you got, so here we are. So like, let me see if I recognize any of this stuff. There on the page is a scene that looks initially a lot like the scene from the podcast. Colin calls Heidi. They begin a conversation over a bad phone line. You see her walking through the facility. Okay. Hi, Colin. Yep. Uh, are you there? Are you connecting shoddy? Oh, this is all, this is exactly what it is. Yeah, okay. He's just asking, like, how's it going with the data? Are we getting all on track? Heidi wants to talk about holistic whatever. Colin does not want to talk about holistic whatever. Right. All the, all the stuff from the podcast, but... He's tripping over things that are different things. So in the airport, he's like running into a girl in the in the hall, and he's like tripping over somebody with their with their suitcase. And here he says, into the Colin Vio into phone, they've got these boxes just stacked up in the shouting to someone, "Duck, my man, let's do the shipping away from the organic material, all right?" So we're sort of setting up a sort of mystery hovering in the background. Right, like where is he? Where is he? What is he doing? Yeah. Yes. Throughout the scene, as the camera focuses on Heidi walking through the facility, you hear strange machinery in the background on the phone. You hear Colin referencing this like weird vegetation that has arrived wherever it is that he is. And then at the very end of the scene, as Colin is delivering the line, did we run the background check on the busboys? We cut to interior workroom night. Colin Belfast, an upscale company man, moves through a dank windowless workroom lined with long steel tables. Behind him, workers in jumpsuits and rubber boots are hosing down one of the tables, which is covered in thick red sludge. The floor is littered with branches and leaves. Uh, what's this room? Yes. I don't know. It's a mysterious room, and uh-huh. then... And then he sort of leaves this workroom and emerges into an alleyway, which may be in Vietnam. 
and gets into a taxi to the airport. Then this will tie into a little montage that you'll see in episode four, where we kind of learn what this sludge is about. So, the script ended up in this cool new place. And it's exciting. But what Eli and Micah thought was going to be a simple cut and paste had taken on a life of its own. It had taken months to resolve. And it was literally the very first episode. This writing process went on for about five months. But around November, as Eli and Micah were finishing up the scripts, a couple miles away on the lot of Universal Studios, an entire army of people was just getting started, taking the words Eli and Micah had written and making them real. I'm going to take you to the big set first. They're saying it's the largest stage in Southern California. This again is Anastasia White. You heard a bit from her at the very beginning of the last episode. She's the production designer on Homecoming. And around the time that Eli and Mike were finishing their scripts, Anastasia and her small army of painters and carpenters and electricians and costume designers and prop specialists were just getting started transforming the words in those scripts into actual solid things. A lot of that transformation was happening right here, where Anastasia has just parked the golf cart we were using to zip around the Universal lot in front of a nondescript door leading into a massive hangar-type building, Universal Lots 23 and 24. So just before we go through this door, I just want to make sure that this is the moment that I think it is. So, like, anybody who listened to the Homecoming podcast or, like, when I listened to the Homecoming podcast, I sort of had all these visions of, like, what Heidi looked like, what the facility looked like, what the diner looked like, where she worked. That's all in my head. When we go in here, it's about, it's, it's about to be real. It's about to be real. It's, a, it's about 50% there inside right now. This is, this is it. <laughs> cool. All right. I hope, hope everybody likes the way it turned out. What's behind that door? Coming up after the break. On the other side of the door is a massive room with ceilings over 50 feet high. And in the middle of this massive room, what looks like a house being framed. There's pallets of two-by-fours, stacked sheets of plywood. Anastasia tells me they're building the homecoming facility, the treatment center where Heidi works and where the soldiers, like Walter, are staying for treatment. This is where the soldiers are living and um, hanging out in the cafeteria, getting their medication, their food. Um, Heidi's office is on the third floor. We've built it as an old office building from like the early 80s. I follow Anastasia up and down hallways lined with doors leading into little rooms with small single beds. We stop at one of them. You can see this is Walter's room. Oh yeah. There's a big window in front and then it's just sort of a square room with like this sort of like nice sort of like upscale chain restaurant wood paneling on the side and then and then there's a window in the back, and then you can see a trunk of, of the palm tree out the back of the window. Now, if we were to walk around and actually look at that palm tree from the back, what does it look like? Is it an actual palm tree, or did you yeah. just see the trunk? It's fiberglass. It's fiberglass? Yeah. The design in Walter's room is off, almost like it's at war with itself. For example, it has this large pop art-looking framed print of a pineapple on the wall. It's sort of a sophisticated touch. But then the ceiling, it is pure, soulless office park drop ceiling the kind of ceiling universally associated with flickering fluorescent lights and water damage, the kind of ceiling that eighth graders throw their pencils into when the teacher isn't looking. 
And this offness, this nice print versus drop ceiling, it's by design. Anastasia explains that when you're building a set, you usually only get a couple clues from the script of what the set should look like. She knows there's a desk, some chairs in Heidi's office, for example, but she has no idea what kind of desk. Antique, mid-century modern, walnut, pine. And so to help guide her decisions, she has to come up with a story behind the set she's building. And for this particular facility, the story that she and her team came up with was based on details from the script. Okay, so fans of Homecoming may remember the Homecoming Initiative, it's located in Florida, and it's run by a shadowy company with military connections called the Geist Group. And so Anastasia and her team imagined, what is Geist's connection to this property that the facility is on? And they came up with a story about it. Geist owns this property, which is a big corporate complex in, outside of Tampa. And then this project came up. The Homecoming Initiative. The Homecoming Initiative came up. And they decided to take this section of the office park and convert it. So it's, it's an old late 70s, early 80s office building that hadn't been touched for a long time. They came in, hired interior decorators, and sort of gave, gave it a little bit of a refurbishment. And they decorated the offices to make them feel more domestic and homey and sort of mildly hip for the soldiers coming in so that they were comfortable living here and turned the cafeteria into sort of more of a restaurant-type feel. Um, But they probably didn't have enough money to completely redo everything. So they're sort of like superficial facelift. So the look you're going for is like sort of like hasty intentional makeover to make it feel a little bit more welcoming and homey, but with the original sort of like soulless 80s office-y feelings still peeking through. Yes. Are they good designers or okay designers or bad designers? They're okay. They're making some bold choices. For instance, we're also sort of imagining that this Tampa interior design group is embracing the Florida Everglades uh, so they're, they're kind of throwing that into their design as well. Which is how we get a fluorescent light drop ceiling paired with an oversized pop art pineapple on the wall. But even when you have a story to guide your thinking, it's still hard to imagine this world into life. Like, Anastasia and I continue our tour of the facility, and we arrive at another key location. Oh, and here, here it is. This is Heidi's office. The decor again is a mix. Some things left over from the original office park, then other pieces, newer, hipper, that this fictional Geist Group Tampa design firm has brought in. While we're on the tour, Brad Einhorn, the prop master, comes up to Anastasia, holding a sleek-looking desktop phone. Do you like that? I kind of think it could be an older... Older? Yeah. Okay. I'll have to look. Okay. <laughs> tell, me, tell me exactly what just happened. We are just talking about the phones that are going into... The offices, Heidi's right. office, and thinking about whether they're new or if they were here existing with the building. And Brad, the prop master, just brought you a phone, plunked it on the desk, and said, what do you think of this? <laughs> yes. And you essentially said, not quite right. Let's find something slightly older. I, I'd like it to feel like it was here in part of the office um, rather than they brought the phone. Did you know that that's what you thought, or did you just decide at that moment? I knew when I looked at it. <laughs> How? Uh, I just I hadn't thought about the phone before, and when I saw it in here, it just felt like it should have been 
part of the office, the, pri- the original office. Brad heads off into a deep corner of this cavernous soundstage, and Anastasia and I continue our tour. But a short while later, Brad reappears with a new phone. I like that one better. And then Anastasia, if you, if, what's different about this one? This one feels like it was part of the building. It's more boxy. The buttons are dull. Nothing's really bright or shiny. It's it. It, it, the, the vintage looks like <laughs> yeah, it 80s, looks like a right? vintage office. It's not yeah. that old, mm-hmm. but um, it looks that way. So yeah, definitely. It looks yeah. like it's been used. Yeah, definitely. Somebody's crossed out the, yeah. the numbers. <laughs> Changed the extension. <laughs> yeah. Where did you find that? I bought this a, a, a while ago. I probably used it in another movie. Okay. I have a lot of phones. <laughs> I, you know, I have a hundred phones. Really? Yeah. Where do you keep them? I have a storage and I have a 48-foot trailer outside right now. We continued our tour of the soundstage. We saw carpenters rigging the roof of the facility so that it could be lifted entirely off by cranes. There was a painter staining and aging a hundred doors to make them look like they came from a 70s office park but had recently been done up with a new coat of paint. There was an electrician rewiring a bunch of exit signs with a slightly more ominous shade of red that would be more in keeping with the sinister visual tone that Sam wanted to infuse the show with. And it all felt a little like magic. Not snap your fingers and something appears magic. More like, I don't know, Santa's elves magic. Like, in this workshop, if Anastasia and her crew put their minds to it, they can make anything happen. And Eli and Micah, they were in charge of that magic. They had literally written the magic words that had set all this in motion. But while they were in their little writer's room, in their office, outside of the Universal set, they weren't aware of the magic power that the words they were writing held. But then, in January, they finally moved out of the writer's room and into new offices on the Universal lot. And so we pulled on, and like we drove past like Back to the Future clock tower and through New York Street and past the Old West and up to here, where there were already all these people who we never met or heard of starting to work on the thing. And so that's when it really felt weird, like this is much bigger than us or much bigger than anything we can even get our heads around. What that's like to have an entire team of people devoted to making every single word you write come alive, that's coming up in the next episode of Startup. This episode of Startup was hosted by me, Alex Bloomberg, and produced by Stevie Lane and Luke Malone. We were edited by Devin Taylor. Mark Phillips wrote and performed our theme song. Build Buildings wrote and performed our special ad music. Additional music by the band hotmoms.gov and by Bobby Lord. Peter Leonard and Sam Baer mixed this episode. Special thanks to Chris Giliberti. To subscribe to Startup, you can go to Apple Podcasts or wherever you find your podcasts. Or check us out on the Gimlet website, gimletmedia.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at Podcast Startup. Thanks for listening.